Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline, and today's episode is called Harry Podcast and Dobby's Warning. And today we have a special guest, our friend Corey, calling in from out of town. Um, so Corey, why don't you tell us about your history with the Harry Potter series and maybe your favorite book and favorite character? Thank you so much, guys, for having me on the podcast. I'm super excited to be here. I started reading Harry Potter in the second grade. The first book was actually read out loud to us in circle time, and then I loved it from there. I was always in line at the bookstores waiting um, at midnight to get the new book and then trying with all of my might to stay up all night to finish it. Um, so I'm a huge fan. I just reread the series for probably like the 10th time the other day. <laughs> Uh, my favorite character is Luna Lovegood. I think, Maddie, that's also your favorite. I just think that she's so incredible. She's so strong and so unbelievably loyal. And I feel like she doesn't have any fear. Um, and I, so I think she's really inspiring and is a great person to look up to. Uh, my favorite book... I would have to say is The Prisoner of Azkaban. I've actually read it the most out of all of the books. Uh, I think it's when the series starts to become a little bit darker. You start to get more uh, deeper into the story. You're getting to know Sirius, Lupin. You're understanding a little bit more about Snape. And then, of course, you're seeing a little bit more of the darker world, the dark arts. So you meet the Dementors. Harry starts to understand more about his parents' death and why the Dementors affect him. And so I think there's just a lot of change that happens in this book. And that's probably why it's my favorite. Thanks so much, Corey. We're really excited to have you as our first and I'm sure best guest. All right, so I'll start us off with a brief synopsis. The creature on Harry's bed turns out to be Dobby, a house elf, who has to punish himself every time he breaks his master's rules. Throughout the course of their conversation, Harry finds out that Dobby is a huge admirer of his and has come to warn Harry not to go back to Hogwarts because something dangerous is going to happen there this year. Harry also finds out that Dobby has been stopping his mail and that Ron and Hermione really have been writing to him all summer. When Harry tries to grab his letters, Dobby runs down the stairs and hides in the kitchen where the Dursleys are hosting Vernon's potential clients, the Masons. Dobby begs Harry not to return to Hogwarts, and when Harry refuses, Dobby uses magic to smash the pudding Petunia made for dessert. Dobby disappears, and all hell breaks loose, culminating in an owl swooping in and dropping a letter on Mrs. Mason's head. The letter is an official warning from the Ministry of Magic, stating that Harry is not allowed to do magic outside of school, and if he does so again, he will be expelled from Hogwarts. When Vernon reads this, he locks Harry in his room and puts bars in his window and tells him he is never going back to Hogwarts. Three days later, Harry wakes from a dream to find Ron outside his window. Okay, so I'd love to start out with talking about Dobby. Dobby is an amazing character. He's so charming and funny, and he's kind of like a dwarf in Snow White. We were trying to figure out what Disney character he's like, but he's very um, similar to... He's very similar to that kind of a dwarf type character in like a fairy tale almost different than other magical creatures we've seen so far in the series I think. Um, he wears pillowcase and rags for clothes and he has really huge ears and eyes and nose so um, he's really funny looking and the way he refers to himself in the third person and then refers to others by their full names is also 
adds to his character in a fairy tale sort of way. Yeah, he's very cute and and it's endearing how like impoverished he is and stuff. Although it is like sad in a way too. Um and as we learn he's very mistreated, so it's it's kind of like a funny sad kind of character here. He's like a tragic figure, but he's also a source of comedy. So there's this interesting duality about Dobby. Yeah, he's so over the top in the in his, you know, crying and also his punishing of himself which is comes across as humorous in the context of the scene because you know harry's trying not to have him make any noise and he is making a lot of noise by punishing himself but then it's it is really sad if you think about it so the comedy of the scene i think just comes from all that timing so i think it's funny when dobby comes in and he's immediately just in awe of harry and is so excited to finally meet him and be in his presence Uh, and i think it's interesting to see this coming from a magical creature we've seen this with of course um all the wizards and witches that he met when he first went into diagon alley that first time and it's kind of that same reaction that i that dobby's having Mm -hmm. yeah and it is different because it's it's not an equal treating him this way or, or even a better like adult wizards coming up to Harry and being like, you're my hero is like weird in a way, but it's also weird in like a different way when it's like someone who would be considered an inferior or subservient in some regard, like socially. I mean, um, he's like from a lower class and, and he's like, Harry, you're my idol. And I think that makes Harry feel kind of uncomfortable because he's like, I don't know that I deserve this like adoration and I don't know that I can like be really a good example for him in some ways. Right, exactly. And I think because Harry, this is the first time Harry is meeting a house elf. He doesn't really understand how the wizards view house elves yet. So he doesn't know that house elves are basically slaves uh, serving some of the most wealthy witches and wizards in the society. And so Harry is treating Dobby just like he would a friend or someone else that he respects. Um, and when he tries to stop Dobby from hitting himself in the head with a lamp or whatever else Dobby does to beat himself up, he basically makes Dobby hit himself more and Dobby starts to cry. And that's where the humor comes in that you mentioned. But Dobby is even more in awe of Harry. And I think he says some line like, we knew that you were good, but we didn't know that you were great or something. We didn't know of your greatness. Yeah. And he's just so honored to be in the same room as him. And I think it's also interesting that this is Harry's first time meeting the elf, so he doesn't understand that most wizards view them as kind of like scum or no good. I mean, hence their outfits that they wear, like their old pillowcases. And he's not jaded like the rest of the wizarding world is yet. So he's treating him with respect, asks him to sit down, and then is kind of horrified when he finds out that Dobby is basically going to serve the the family until he dies. And he asks if anyone can save him. And that's Harry's first thought is, can't I help you? Like, why can't anyone help you? And I think that's just what Harry's character is. He's always trying to help whoever he can. Yeah, it's a great portrayal of Harry in this scene. He's portrayed, like, as a really good guy, as someone who's, like, trying to stick up for this downtrodden, like, besought character of Dobby. And, you know, even though he can't really do anything to help him, Still, like, him putting forth that effort and and saying things like, you know, can't I help you? Can't anyone? You know, it does make Dobby feel, like, incredibly well taken care of and respected. And it's clear on reflection that Dobby didn't expect or even hope 
that Harry would treat him that well. Um, because he, as Harry says, he hasn't met many decent wizards. You know, he hasn't met any people that treat him like an equal, let alone with, like, dignity and respect. Yeah, and I wonder, I'm just thinking about this, that maybe Harry feels like, since he's been treated so poorly in the muggle world by the Dursleys and basically everyone else he encounters at school and everything, for him, um, Hogwarts and the wizarding world has been such a place of good treatment and seeming acceptance, but I think that because it's been that way for him, he maybe doesn't think about the, you know, creatures or um, even people, which is in wizards, that are considered inferior and aren't actually treated as well. So he's a little bit naive, I think. I think so too. And that, I mean, Harry was basically treated like a house elf before he went to Hogwarts. He was in rags. He was in a cupboard. He couldn't really leave. He couldn't do anything that he wanted to do. And he was completely trapped. And he probably thought he would be like that forever until he was old enough to leave the house. So it probably gave him a lot of empathy for Dobby's position then. Definitely. So even though Harry's treatment of Dobby and other house elves in person is, you know, very kind and treating them as equals, when Hermione in The Goblet of Fire brings up, um, you know, the idea of spew and supporting the house elves and house elf rights he's not really that into it and he's not as opposed to it as ron who's like this is stupid i'm not gonna have anything to do with it but he's not like yeah totally we're gonna we're gonna fight for this so um i think that's interesting to think about how he's a little bit he is a little bit passive even though he's you know Mm -hmm. treating dobby this way in person Yeah, I wonder if it's because at that point he is more jaded about how wizards treat house elves and if he is more like a, this is a societal problem and I don't feel like I can do anything about it. But obviously, like, and we'll talk about this more when we get to those chapters in Goblet of Fire, it is a direct reflection of, you know, how our society treats the oppressed and the downtrodden. And Hermione can be seen as like, you know, similar to people who fight for those groups today in our society. Definitely. I also wonder if Harry is just not lazy, but just thinking about so many other things like his scar hurting or if Sirius is okay and if he's going to come back north because of the first letter he wrote him in that and Goblet of, of Fire. Of tournament. Right. That he can't even really think about supporting something like Spew yeah. and he just lets Ron and Hermione kind of dish it out and have their little petty arguments because he probably knows they like each other deep down. Yeah, might be <laughs> part of it for sure. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I think Carrie is like, I I just can't care and right now I have too much to do. And I mean, that's something that is amazing about Hermione is because she does have so much else to think about as well, but she cares so much about that that she'll mm-hmm. do it, so... That's kind of a tangent about Hermione, but I think that it's interesting to see that. But you're right, Corey. I think he probably just has a lot of a lot in his mind during right. the <laughs> book. I want to bring up another point, which is we've talked about how much Dobby views Harry as his personal hero. And I think in Goblet of Fire, at one point, Sirius remarks that to get the measure of a man, you have to look at how they treat their inferiors, not their equals. And if we think of Dobby as being a quote-unquote social inferior to Harry, this chapter is a great example of how Harry treats his inferiors. And therefore, you know, we can say that the measure of Harry is is one who has a lot of respect and, and deference to everybody, regardless of who they are or what their position is. 
something I think that you noticed, David, or noted that is that um, Dobby's first and last words in the whole series are Harry Potter, um, Harry's full name. So I think mm-hmm. that's just a kind of poignant point about Dobby. And it tells you what's what's the most important thing to him. Yeah, and what so he comes in and the way he goes out. Yeah, his most important character trait or motivation. Mm-hmm. And we'll meet another character in this book who is very much a parallel to Dobby in a lot of ways, uh, Colin Creevy, who also views Harry as an idol and a personal hero and who similarly uh, dies protecting Harry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So moving on to the actual warning that um, Dobby gives, as the title of the chapter says, Harry is told by Dobby that if he returns to school, he will be in mortal danger and that therefore he needs to not go at all. So David, what do you make of that? Well, it means that Dobby puts a lot of stake in Harry and obviously wants to protect him, and that has a lot of implications itself. But I think what's interesting about Harry's response to this is that it's so nonchalant. I mean, if someone told you, like, hey, uh, there's, like, a terrorist plot to do a lot of bad stuff at your school, so you should stay home today, and your first response is to be like, what? No, I'm going to school. Yeah. Like, that's pretty weird. And I think it it says a lot about Harry's, like, regard for his own life. Uh, and how much he loves Hogwarts in comparison to his life with the Dursleys. Yeah, well, I think also, like, he's literally just met this creature, and I don't know how much he knows and trusts him at this point. So it might have a touch of incredulity in it, too. Yeah, I don't don't know if he really is like, okay, I'm going to listen to this house elf about um, that I'm in danger, but he's not telling me really what it is, and... Yeah, and he doesn't necessarily mistrust Dobby. He definitely believes him. He's just like... What? What are you talking about? Yeah. He might think that Dobby is like exaggerated in his head or that like he's wrong and that nothing's going to happen or something. And then the next thing that Dobby tells Harry is that he's too important and too good for them to lose. So, Corey, what do you make of that statement? So this statement kind of strikes me funny because it almost feels like Dobby knows something because he's saying that he's too important and too good to lose. So does he know that Harry is going to be the one to stop Voldemort, or does he just think that Harry is so great because he has already stopped him once before that he needs to be protected? Harry also doesn't really seem to care that Dobby says this, because as we know, Harry is is humble, and he doesn't like when people talk about him like some hero. Uh, he he, I think he goes to say like, well, I'm not really a hero. Like I'm not even that great. Hermione's like the best. Uh, and then he kind of gets cut off yeah, by Dobby. That's true. Mm-hmm. Also, Dobby doesn't really tell Harry why he shouldn't go back to school well enough. So he says, or Harry asks if Voldemort is behind the attack and Dobby says, no, it's not. He must not be named. And he's trying to give Harry a hint, but I mean, I don't even really see the hint as a reader, so I don't know how Harry would be able to figure out what it is if it's not about Voldemort. So I don't know what you or Maddie thought about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I think maybe someone like Hermione could have got it, but it, you have but to not really. read a yeah. lot into what Dobby is saying and doing to get that, and it is pretty vague. Um, although Dobby clearly thought that he was giving Harry a good hint. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I think it's interesting what you said, Corey, about, like, what does he know and does he mo- know more than he see, you know, he seems to know or could know? Because I think that Dobby is often kind of prescient in the series of, like, being able to 
either predict things or seem like he predicts things, but I think really it's more that he is so involved and is eavesdropping all the time on everything that everyone's saying that he kind of gathers information and makes things up in his head. So I wonder what he, you know, what exactly he thinks this plot is and how much he knows himself because I, I, I think that's right that the clue of it's not about Voldemort is, I don't know how you would get there. Yeah, and he clearly knows some about it, and we'll get to that in a second. But um, I think the the really interesting thing about what you said, Corey, is that he seems to know something about Harry that Harry doesn't know. And maybe it's that Harry is subject of a prophecy to defeat Voldemort. Maybe Maybe he does know that. I would think maybe it's more something like uh, he sees in Harry the qualities of someone who could stop all this evil in the world. Right. And that he's like, we, all of our hopes rest on you. You are going to grow up to be this huge hero and save everybody. And I know that just from, you know, my prescience, as Maddie was saying. But Harry doesn't know that because he's only 12 and he doesn't understand things like this. Right. I forget that he's 12 sometimes. <laughs> I forget that he's 12 too. That was in the last book. I kept forgetting that he was 11. I'm like, oh my God, like he's literally a baby. What do you do? I know. One thing, one other thing that I wanted to mention is that we, we learn later in the book that Dobby, of course, serves the Malfoy family. And if he has overheard Lucius talking about the, the plan to open the Chamber of Secrets, Dobby would know that, of course, 50 years ago, the monster in the chamber attacked only Muggleborns. So I'm also confused why Dobby would warn Harry because technically Harry wouldn't be in any danger. That's true. And I wonder whether it's just that if there are attacks going on, Dobby might not know all the details about the opening of the Chamber of Secrets. He might know something like, oh, there's going to be a lot of attacks on students. Well, and I think that what he probably knows is that Lucius has a plan to implicate the Weasleys or get one of the Weasleys to open the chamber. And he knows that Harry's friends with the Weasleys. Maybe, but it's still kind of a stretch. I don't know. Yeah, I I think of it as more of just like, Harry is Dobby's personal hero. Dobby knows Harry's going to be at Hogwarts this year. He knows that there are going to be attacks on students. And he's like, no, Harry, I have to protect you. I can't let Harry be the victim of one of these attacks. Um, And he might even know that like the monster is a basilisk right if he did know that then that would be even more reason to fear this plot because basilisks are notoriously difficult to control and as we see you know the basilisk does actually attack students who aren't muggle-borns or attempt to attack students who aren't muggle-borns right and so it's not it's not like a perfect monster it 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 does sort of have a will of its own and it can get out of control. So Dobby could be fearful of that. Um, Or if Dobby does know about um, Tom Riddle, which we believe that he does because of his clue, that it's not about he who must not be named, but it's about Tom Riddle. So then he would know, okay, like Voldemort clearly like has it out for Harry. Could Voldemort's opening of the reopening of the Chamber of Secrets in this instance, be a plot to try to kill Harry again. And as we see, that is exactly what Tom Riddle tries to do. Mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to just mention as well is that when um, he gives this clue and saying, no, it's not, he must not be named, Harry 
just like doesn't care. He's like, okay, if it's not Voldemort, like everything's fine because he feels like, and in some ways, right, that he's seen and experienced the worst already, and he knows that he's probably gonna see Voldemort again. But if it's not Voldemort, he's like, whatever, I can handle it. He's like, Dumbledore can handle any non-Voldemort threat that comes at yeah. him. Yeah, and we have to remember it was only a few weeks ago that he saw. Baltimore that he you know defeated, defeated him again him. Yeah. and so he probably has this you know he has this like big trauma and fear of Voldemort um and he seems not to though he seems almost cocky about it he does but I don't know maybe I I just assume that he must have some but I feel like he's I don't know I feel like he's just so has concentrated all his fears on Voldemort that he doesn't really he can't really think of like a lesser evil that would that he wouldn't be able to defeat maybe so maybe that is the cockiness about it. Right, but then Dobby says that Dumbledore doesn't mess with these types of dark powers, and even that still didn't seem to bother Harry either. Mm-hmm. It may have, except that he couldn't get specific enough to point to anything that Harry could glom onto before starting to beat himself up again. <laughs> so it's it's <laughs> like a hint of something that maybe Harry would be afraid of, but it's like someone telling you, like, oh, there's this really spooky monster that lives somewhere near you. And you're like, oh, yeah, what? And they're like, oh, I can't tell you anything else. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're just like, well, okay, I could choose to be afraid of that. Or maybe since I don't actually know anything, I'm, I'm not going to be afraid of that. Yeah. And so moving on to sort of Dobby's other character trait here, which is him kind of being manipulative in order to protect Harry, he thinks, is that he has been intercepting Harry's letters from his friends, which Harry in the last chapter was so miserable because he thought his friends forgot about him. Um, And Dobby says, I'll give you the letters if you promise not to return to school. And Harry refuses. So I don't know. What do you guys think about why Harry refuses so quickly and, um, you know, doesn't even choose to lie? It might not have even occurred to him that he could lie. Harry is notoriously honest and... Except when he thinks that, like, lying would be a better alternative for the person to hear. He almost always tells the truth. And in this case, he's just so wrapped up in wanting to get the letters and wanting to return to Hogwarts. And those are the two things that he wants most right now. And Dobby is saying, like, I'll give you one, but I'm going to take away the other. And Harry's like, no, I need both of those things. So I think it almost doesn't occur to him to lie at all. But it also could be the case that Dobby would would put a spell on him to compel him to follow that. And I don't know how that magic would work, but we know that house elves have a different kind of magic than wizards do. So it's possible that Dobby would be able to bind his words to his actions and make that promise into like a law, basically. I doubt that Dobby would do that without crying or like burning his <laughs> hands in the oven or ironing them yeah, or whatever he does. I feel yeah. like he would feel so bad before he would even be able to do it. Just like thinking about putting magic on to control Harry Potter would be like his worst nightmare. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's that's so true. And I well, I mean, it's really interesting to think about Hell's Elf magic because like you said, it, we know it's different from wizard magic, but even just the idea that what we're about to discuss, which is Dobby's, you know, using up magic in this muggle house, you know, there's no repercussions on Dobby or the house elves aren't tracked, I guess, with their magic, which is interesting because you would think that, I don't know, if there are slaves, you would think that they would be controlled and their magic would be controlled. I think it is controlled because they, if their master calls for them, right, they have to apparate. 
Yeah, and that's almost not even governed by Ministry of Magic law, or maybe it is, but it, it's like such a part of house elf culture mm-hmm. that it doesn't even occur to them to disobey. Right. They just have to go. Yeah, okay. It's almost like there's a magic in that contract somehow. Yeah, and you're right because they could, you know, their master could forbid them from, I guess, doing any spell that they wanted to if they if they chose to tell them that. So mm-hmm. it really is control. But I guess just their natural, like, talent and power for magic is not, is potentially not hindered. If And the only time we ever see a house elf disobey a direct order is when Winky abandons her tent at the World Cup to go into the forest. Because Crouch expressly tells her to stay in the tent. She leaves and goes into the forest with Barty Crouch Jr. But when Harry and the gang encounter her there, it looks like she's pulling like an enormous weight on her. Mm -hmm. And while we actually learn that that's um, a combination of Barty Crouch Jr. actually like physically trying to go back to the campsite to torture muggles, it also uh, could be that it's like her, her oath to serve Barty Crouch Sr. is like dragging her backwards in a magical way. But, you know, as we do see in that scene, like Barty Crouch dismisses her for disobeying that order to stay Mm -hmm. in the tent. So if it's not like a magical oath, it definitely is like a societal one that they will follow or they will get dismissed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one of the other things that Harry says in his refusal of telling Dobby that he won't go back to Hogwarts is that he says, you know, I don't belong here in the muggle world. I belong in your world at Hogwarts. And this is just like something Tom Riddle would say. Harry hates his home life, just like Tom Riddle hated his orphanage, not feeling like they belong, very misunderstood. And the only place they both wanted to be was Hogwarts. And so that's just an interesting parallel between the two of them. Absolutely. And we're going to learn a lot more about Tom Riddle's home life and his Hogwarts life in this book and and the parallels between them as we sort of alluded to last episode. Yeah, we mentioned that that was something we want to really continue to track throughout this book because this book sometimes doesn't feel like the most interesting book, but we uh, really think that this parallel with Tom Riddle is going to give us a lot to talk about. So getting into the Dursleys' role in this chapter, although it's really a comedic part of the chapter, the Dursleys' preparation and interactions with the Masons, it really does shed a lot of light on their characters in terms of like their social skills or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. Um, So we see them like really rehearsing the details of the night um, beforehand, you know, with Dudley cleaning everything, prepping everything, you know, and Vernon is very invested in this because of his clients and Petunia. It's funny to see them prepping so much. And we see that I mean, I think you can get kind of a sense of like what, how strange and awkward they must be actually and how they're actually not normal. Yeah. Can you imagine sitting down to dinner with these people? No. Everything that they say is pre-rehearsed. All the laughs are fake. Everything from their facial expression to like what they're wearing is manufactured. It would just, I would feel so alienated. I can't believe, like, I can't believe that Vernon has any clients if this is how he treats his clients, you know? Yeah, and he, he there's even a point or a couple times when he says that Harry's ruined like the punchlines of his certain jokes that he needed to tell because yeah. he hears uh, noises in Harry's room. So it's, yeah, clearly very stiff, very awkward, and 
you know, I wonder if all this had happened if the dinner was, you know, going well in terms of getting the clients because it doesn't sound like it, but I mean, who knows? It's, it's pretty funny. And then sort of on the other side of this comedic part of their social skills is that this is all of their worst fears realized. So the last episode we talked a lot about how the Dursley's fears related to Magic and Harry are um, intensified now that he's come home again. And all these fears come together when Harry is not hidden. Harry is right there and clearly doing something magical and very loud, disruptive, dangerous. So everything that they hate and, you know, everything that will show that they're definitely not normal. Yeah, it it reveals them by association to be like, you know, freakish, which is everything that they hate and everything that they're afraid of. Because Harry can't be hidden if he's smashing a pudding in the middle of dinner. All the attention is on him. And, you know, obviously the Masons are going to realize that there's something wrong with this kid. But also I feel like the Masons would feel like the Dursleys are just not normal in general because they're trying to hide a child upstairs. And like, that's just wrong (laughs) on so many levels. So I can't imagine that they're, I feel like they would be focusing more on the fact that their potential like new business partner was trying to hide their child upstairs versus the fact that he dropped the pudding. Yeah, that is a good point. I mean, I I would think, I, I mean, if I were there, I would think like, are you like abusing this child, which they obviously are, but like you're keeping him like locked upstairs and the Masons don't seem like they're too bright either. I mean, <laughs> even after all of this craziness, they only leave because Mrs. Mason is afraid of birds. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't think they're the best readers of social cues either. It's probably true. Definitely not. So then we come to the climax of the chapter right after Dobby destroys the pudding and escapes, leaving Harry to deal with the consequences. Um, they're cleaning it up and it looks like Uncle Vernon's going to be able to save the night. But then a letter arrives from the Ministry of Magic itself. And this letter, I think, is is pretty much the key to the whole chapter. Um, it gives us a lot of information about how the Ministry governs underage magic and also serves as the catalyst for Uncle Vernon's treatment of Harry. So basically what happens in the letter is that they tell Harry, hey, we caught you using underage magic, that's illegal. If we catch you doing it again, we'll expel you from school. And uh, Mafalda Hopkirk from the Improper Use of Magic office is the signatory. So when Vernon reads this letter, he basically decides this is the perfect opportunity for me to lock Harry away from the world once and for all because Harry can't break out by force because Vernon's stronger than him and Harry can't break out by magic because if he does, he'll just get expelled. So he feels like he's got Harry trapped now. And because Vernon is short-sighted, and fearful and tyrannical he believes that locking harry up is actually like the best answer to harry's like abnormalcy yeah i think that um i was a little bit surprised when i remembered that this was a sequence of events because i do think that vernon is so obsessed with controlling harry and controlling magic that he thinks that okay i'm just gonna lock him away and then i'm not gonna have to deal with him But it doesn't really make sense because he doesn't want Harry in the house. So he says to him, you're never going to Hogwarts again. Whereas what you just said is like, if he tries to break out by magic, he would get expelled. So I don't know. It doesn't, he didn't really think this through. So I think that, you know, because he he wants to get rid of Harry. So um, I'm not sure. This was a little bit confusing for me. But I do think that it's mainly that he's so obsessed with 
controlling Harry. He literally wants to jail him and never have to think about him. The best parallel for Vernon's thinking on this, I think, would be in Goblet of Fire, when Harry gets invited by the Weasleys to join them at the Burrow for the Quidditch World Cup, because Harry basically gives him that proposition and says, like, can I go? And Vernon basically thinks along two lines. He's like, okay, well, if I tell him he can go, it would make him happy, which I've been fighting against for over a decade. But if I tell him he can't go, then he'll stay, and I don't want him in the house. So... Mm-hmm. Harry eventually says, like, well, if you tell me I can't go, I'll complain to Sirius. And then Vernon's like, okay, you can go. But you, you can tell that, like, there is this dichotomy where Vernon doesn't want Harry to be happy, but he also doesn't want Harry to be in the house. And it's, like, those two things doing battle. And I guess here, because he doesn't realize that if he sent Harry away, uh, that that would be an option, he basically is just like, well, I'll keep him in the house but unhappy, and that's better than, like, letting him be free but happy. Definitely. And I just wanted to go back to the letter for a second. So this is the first time that we're seeing the Ministry of Magic um, using their tracker or trace that they have on underage wizards. So they're clearly able to see like which area the magic was done, but they do get the identity of the magic user wrong since it was Dobby and not Harry. So I guess I'm just confused on how the trace itself works because, well, then why wouldn't someone else, if like they have an enemy, go and do magic in their house and get that person expelled or in trouble? So it just seems very confusing. I'm not sure if it's like a plot flaw or something else. I'm not sure what you guys think about it. Yeah, so I guess like in-universe, the way the trace works is that it detects magic around underage wizards. But obviously this has some pretty big drawbacks. As you mentioned, there's the loophole where like you could drive to your enemy's house, use magic while you're disguised uh, and then like drive away and they would think that it was your enemy that did it. Um, but also like if you think about wizards growing up in all wizard households, there's going to be magic used all the time. And so it would be impossible for the ministry to detect underage magic in such a household. So likely the way that it's governed is that if you're an all magic family or like you have at least one wizard parent, um, they let, they let that, parent govern how you use underage magic and like basically leave the discipline up to them um and if you have non-magic parents then they discipline you for them so that's obviously a very uh you know another privileged and thing to discriminatory be, practice yeah, yeah. against mugaward wizards but it is all a little bit unclear as to how it exactly works and how they really can't tell that it was harry or there's not really a there doesn't seem to be a way for Harry to prove that it wasn't him. Yeah, and it really... Harry doesn't realize the extent of the Ministry's spying power, I guess. Like, he knew that it was illegal to do magic underage, but he didn't realize how how much... how closely they were watching him, basically. And I think it kind of freaks him out for a second, because he's like, whoa, they can, they can tell whenever I do magic? Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of crazy. So... I think he's a little freaked out by how, how much of a police state there is, and especially how ineffective that police state is, because, of course, as we've said, they got the magic user wrong. They didn't even know that it was Dobby that did it and not Harry. And then it also seems funny that since they're able to track at such a magical high level, if you want to call it, it seems like, like in The Order of the Phoenix, I'm sure you'll talk about this when you get to that book, but Harry uses the Patronus charm, and it seems like weird that they wouldn't be able to know why he used it 
yeah, like you'd think that they would have been able to detect Dementors right. in a Muggle neighborhood. Right. Or that they would have had record of Dementors being sent there. Which, of course, Dumbledore does argue, like, why didn't you have record of this mm-hmm. happening? And it's because Umbridge ordered them there and then expunged the records. But it is it is a flaw. And as all bureaucratic governments have these paperwork flaws because there is so much red tape everywhere. Yeah, and another technicality is that it implies that Harry will be expelled from Hogwarts if he's, you know, caught using magic supposedly a second time again. But um, as Dumbledore points out in Order of the Phoenix as well, that they don't have the power to expel Hogwarts students. Only the headmaster has the power to expel. So they may charge him with a crime and that may be worse in some cases. But, you know, it, it probably doesn't, it probably happens often, I would say, that they're not, that, you know, there's a way that they're not expelled, even if they do use magic yeah and it's clear from from that letter that they don't actually know the extent of their authority over students like there probably haven't been a lot of cases of underage magic if this hasn't come up before you know dumbledore argues that point as though the ministry put that policy in place and then like never had to enforce it Mm -hmm. he's like well when you guys wrote those letters you didn't realize that you don't actually have the authority to expel my students so and everyone at the ministry is kind of like oh sorry about that Right, but then even in the third book, when he blows up his aunt and Cornelius Fudge is so nonchalant about it, he's like, oh, it's not a big deal. We're not going to put right. you in Azkaban for blowing up your aunt. And Harry's right. so confused. At that point, confused. they were more worried about his own safety, though. Right, of course. But still, it just shows that it's a pretty subjective thing. Yeah, definitely. And I think that what we said before about like being in wizarding, you know, in a full wizarding family, like I'm sure Fred and George use magic underage all the time and can get away with it because they do that and or maybe they don't because molly does such a good job of policing them yeah that's true it depends but it is very subjective um mafalda hopkirk is mentioned here as i said as the the writer of this letter and she's going to come up a couple of other times um once as the writer of another letter in order of the phoenix um as we've mentioned and then again in deathly hallows because hermione actually impersonates her when they infiltrate the ministry which is kind of interesting because it's like this character that we've heard about mm-hmm. a couple of times, and then we actually get to like see her and see Hermione pretending to be her for a while. So one last thing about the Ministry's rule on no underage magic is that it's consistent with the world they live in, and it's also important um, plot and writing device for Rowling. So many stories that use magic or series um, are criticized because people say, well, why can't, you know, you just use magic for everything to solve all your problems? It was so easy. This would never happen if you could use magic. Um, and this is like... A, a way that she's able to say, okay, Harry can't use magic when he's not at school. None of the students can use magic when they're not at school. So it does give them some limits. Mm-hmm. And that policing, however subjective it is, you know, gives them limits. Um, this Another example of this is you can't create food from thin air. So there's a few um, restrictions that she puts in the world so that people can't make too easy arguments against why they don't just use magic all the time. Right. And, and it also makes the struggles that they do have more compelling to the reader and less boring, basically. Because if you could just turn all the Dursleys into frogs whenever you wanted to, you know, then the struggle between Harry and Vernon isn't that compelling. But because he can't use magic, it is. So, Corey, thanks so much for being on the podcast this episode. 
Thank you so much. It was so fun. I hope to come back again soon. <laughs> yes, please come back. We would love you to come back later this book and throughout the series. But thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and Dobby's Warning. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. Feel free to email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com with any questions or comments you have. You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for next time when we dig into Chapter 3, The Burrow. I'm Madeline. And I'm David, and we'll see you next time on The Harry Podcast. Knox.